Welcome to SRG's podcast, the Think Bigger series, a business podcast aimed at tackling key issues around the workplace and inspiring positive change. This podcast is hosted by me, Jacob Midwinter, Sales and Client Solutions Director at SRG. And me, Philippa Clark, Operations Manager for SRG's Southern Hub. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Think Bigger series. Um, really excited about today's one. We are joined by a lady called Georgia Witten, who is a senior data scientist currently working at the Sanger Institute. Um, so hi, Georgia. Hi, great to be here. Yeah, really good to have you. And I think from my perspective, it's great to have someone who is here today to talk about your journey in STEM. Um, yes, as a female, as a woman, but just the journey in itself, I think, is going to be really interesting. And especially now, because you're so active in uh, in the STEM um, industry, really having your YouTube uh, channel, Genomics with Georgia, and also that you mentioned to me, you volunteer with with Code First for Girls. Is that right? Or Code Girls First, First Girls? What, how, code what is first, it called? Code First Girls. You were nearly there. Code First Girls. I was indeed. I was indeed. And as always, um, I've got Philippa with me. Morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Well, I guess, yeah, it depends when someone's listening to this podcast. It could be an evening or whatever. But yeah, good morning. <laughs> it's, bright, it's bright and early for us at the moment. <laughs> it is bright and early. It is indeed. It is indeed. So I thought to set the scene, as we are going to be talking about your journey in STEM, and you are a woman, so I'm sure there will be um, some interesting things to unpick potentially there. Um, given women in STEM being the, the sort of topic of today's discussion, I thought it'd be good to start off with some stats to just set the scene. Um, so hopefully I can read through these stats accurately. Um, I've got a few numbers jotted down. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll kick off with with the first stat. So 26th of January 2021, um, so about a year and, year and a half ago, nearly two years ago, uh, over in the US, government website said um, 50% of their workforce is made up by women um, of only 27% uh, are in STEM. Um, 14th of January 2022, so earlier this year, Imperial College um, said in 2016, 21% of the STEM workforce were female. There's not much of an improvement up to 2019 where 24% were female. Um, interesting fact for me within that is when you break down those numbers further, within STEM, Whilst forty six percent are within that core science, so think that white lab coat, only ten percent um, are within sort of the engineering field, and that's really supported by UCAS as well. Which earlier in the summer this year, in June twenty twenty two, only thirty five percent of STEM students were women, um, and only nineteen percent of those were within computer science. Um, and for me, I thought that was that was really interesting to to sort of break down a little bit. There's some more stats that I may reel off throughout, um, but I think for me, yeah, maybe um, there are some improvements in pockets of STEM. But that fact for me, there, ten percent with engineering, nineteen percent computer science. I know that's something that's really related to you, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it sets the scene well for our discussion. So I'm excited. Um, to hear about your journey through STEM. So the floor or the mic is, is yours, Georgia. I will take both floor and <laughs> very much. <laughs> um, yeah, so my journey into STEM was 
not a very intentional one. Um, I kind of wound my way up into where I am today, which is really interesting to talk through because, yeah, so when I was younger, I, I never dreamed of being a scientist. It was never something that was on my radar. I was always the artsy drama student, uh, loved performing, loved everything to do with, but wasn't driven by a scientific career. But that doesn't mean to say that I didn't love science. I always loved science through school when I was growing up, but I just never saw myself becoming one. And I think we'll talk about this in a bit more depth later, but it's because when I was growing up, I never saw that career fitting the person I thought I could grow into. Um, so yeah, how did I start off and how did I get here? Well, we normally kind of define our career paths when we get to that point at the end of school and we think, oh goodness, what do I do with my A-levels? Um, and I went off to go and do drama and philosophy and sociology. And then about two or three weeks into my A-levels, um, I realised that I'd actually done the best in my sciences in high school. So randomly, just spontaneously thought, hey, I'll do what I'm good at and just change to the sciences. Had to catch up, but uh, best decision I made because now I'm very happy to be where I am. So continued down that science path doing science A-levels. And then at the time, I thought, what's the only thing I can do with science A-levels? Well, I go into medicine, right? That's the only thing you can do. I didn't really have anybody <laughs> advising me that was there was any other option. So I suddenly convinced myself that I was going to be a doctor, even though I'd never had any interest in becoming one in my life. So I then tried to get into medical school, didn't get into medical school and ended up doing this pre-med course. And the pre-med course was really great because it showed me that I wasn't interested in the clinical application of the science. I was interested in understanding how these really complex systems worked, how they fall apart, why they fall apart, and what we can potentially do to combat the breaking of these systems. So I then went away and changed degrees again and did uh, my undergraduate degree in molecular biology and genetics, which was essentially just focused around understanding yeah, how the cells and how DNA work and just understanding the complexity of all of this data that exists biologically. So I'm on this degree going along and I, in the penultimate summer, um, I started learning to code, which was one of the best decisions. I. However, I didn't realise how important it was. And also nobody around me was learning to code either. So I went off and started learning to code and realized that it was really cool that you could do this kind of problem solving technique. Coding is just building and debugging and solving problems. And it's so applicable to biology, but nobody really shines a light on that earlier on in your career. So luckily I then learned to code. I'm learning loads of stuff about genetics. And I was then able to kind of transition into the field of bioinformatics. So biobiology, informatics, you know, computer technology, just combining those two into being able to solve problems on genomic data. So yeah, finished off my degree kind of specializing in bioinformatics, then was able to land a bioinformatics internship after I graduated, where I continued like learning to code, applying the bioinformatics skills I was learning. Um, and then what did I do next? 
I then landed my job where I am today. So <laughs> I've been in my job two years now, um, which is amazing. And so, yeah, I then landed a job at the Sanger Institute working in genomic surveillance as a data scientist. And then kind of during the past two years, I've done a few things. So I've started volunteering with Code First Girls, which we mentioned at the beginning, who are an organized free coding education to girls and non-binary people to help kind of break down um, the gender biases that we have. Um, and then I also recently started a YouTube channel uh, just to kind of share everything I've been learning along the way of how to break into this field that kind of seems quite mysterious from the outside. Mm. Okay. And that's yeah, that's the, the floor and the mic is officially over. <laughs> <laughs> and that is and that is you. Look, it, it's it's lovely to hear you hear you talk through that. And obviously, you know, we've spoken we've spoken before, and there are a few things that I just wanted you to. I guess bring to light a little bit, and I'll I'll throw things. So one of them you talked previously about um, mentors um, of of yours. Um, mm -hmm. I think you touched upon it upon it there. And another one um, that I just wanted you to just uh, talk about quickly as well before we delve in and Philip and I unpick everything mm -hmm. was a, around kind of yeah. In you talked about fur coat and heels is what stood out for me. <laughs> Um, so, yeah for sure so that experience so the men yeah, just talk quickly about the mentor the fur coat and heels and then you say you landed your job but you used a really great expression when we spoke before which was i applied for it anyway um so if you can just talk about those three things that would be brilliant and then we'll i'm sure philip and i will have lots of questions sure so where should we start mentors okay um i mean so for me i've been i feel like i've been really lucky in a way I've had some incredible male mentors that I've met along my journey who without their kind of championing of me and their encouragement I never would have believed that I could belong in this industry so I mean it is it is a shame that I didn't have any female mentors but you know it was the men in those senior positions and they did give me the belief and the confidence yeah champion me and um, through these kind of paths in my career um, and actually one thing I actually want to bring up is um, one of the male mentors that I I had and still have actually in my scientific career was actually one of my um, operational managers when I worked in a cocktail bar um, and he still gives me mentorship advice about navigating the workplace even now so mentors can actually come from any area of your life they don't have to be you know, directly the most senior person in the field you're desperate to work in. They can come from multiple areas in your life. And then um, the scientific mentors I've had, yeah, they just, um, they saw my work ethic and they, they saw my potential and they gave me a platform to realise that. And I think it's so important that people do that as often as they can um, for anybody else that's trying to get into this sector. Okay, so you've mentioned a few things there. One about you know male mentors, um, mm -hmm. in as well, and you also talk about when you when you gave your introduction around and, and start of your journey, nobody was advising you on on science. Nobody was shining a light on on science. You didn't see somebody that, not to put words in your mouth, but I think you said somebody that sort of looked like you or or was like you going into science. And I know this is something I'm passionate about, but Philip has. 
um, very passionate about it. And I'll pass over to you in a moment, Philippa, to, to just pass comment on that. But just on that mentor piece, um, for me, Capgemini, uh, I read a report recently, Capgemini were talking about the importance of, of breaking down these biases and um, access to formal and informal mentoring. Um, and for me, mentoring is about, yes, you can, they can come from all walks of, of life. You don't have to just have individuals within the industry that you're in. But I think it is really important that they're able to share their experiences. Um, and I guess, Philip, it'd be interesting to get kind of your comments on all of this. And there's a lot to unpack, right? So we don't want to jump around too much. But for me, women not having female leaders potentially in STEM um, or the lack of or the percentage, the, the representation being lower means that there are less individuals to mentor um, that are female that can say some of those shared experiences equally. Um, and to pass over to you, Philippa, if there are less, if it is unrepresentative, um, which the stats suggest it is, uh, with 19% in computer science, then you're right, Georgia, there isn't any females shining the light on what, what you can be. There aren't, you know, maybe it's a lot of old men in lab coats appearing in, in, in imagery, etc. <laughs> not not young women, um, potentially. So, you know, there's some things that really stand out for me uh, up to that point in, in, in your journey. Philippa, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting hearing George's um, journey. And I think it's really important um, that we understand the challenges that people face when navigating through STEM. Um, and yeah, just touching on your point about the mentoring, you know, when I was actually looking at some of the stats similar to yours, you know, there's, you know, particularly if we look at data science, which is relevant to George's journey, you know, it is completely unrepresented by women, you know, there's such a um, much lower percentage. And when we look at actually the women that are in data science, I'm certain one of the stats that I found recently, only 18% of the women in that field actually hold leadership roles. So it kind of, it plays into that vicious cycle of if there's not enough people in leadership roles within data science, you know, who's going to be the, who's going to be mentoring people coming into that field, you know, who are the, you know, females going to look up to. So it's really important that we continue to talk about this. And, and certainly it's an area that definitely needs to be addressed. Um, but just sort of touching on that, the subject of the mentors, um, I think, Something that's really stood out for me, Georgia, um, and certainly for our audience listening, is that is obviously having that mentor really helped you. But I really love the fact that you said <clears throat> it doesn't always necessarily have to be somebody in the field. The fact that you still speak to somebody that you worked with at a cocktail bar. I think, you know, maybe if you could just expand a little bit on on what, you know, how people could go about seeking mentors and what they could get from them, whether it is within their STEM field or outside the field. Because I think that power of a mentor is, is really, really good for people listening and looking to sort of get onto any sort of particular STEM career. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, like we say in a dream world, if you had somebody that looked like you and had, had really shared experiences in the mm. field that you really want to go into, then they would be your perfect mentor. But I think as we very well explained, that sadly isn't always the case. But mm. that doesn't mean that there aren't other ways that you can go about the best chances of getting there on mm. your own. Um, so yeah, so for me, like I said, when I, I was like running a cocktail bar during my degree and my operational director again like these mentors do you know they champion you they believe in mm. you they kind of you know nurture you from the sidelines and set you up to win give you all the right you know ideas and techniques to be successful um 
but they don't take the credit for it you know they're like very much in the background helping you navigate these fields that you don't quite understand whether it's like technical or like work politics sometimes you don't have an idea of how you should approach people so Mm. yeah it's been super helpful and then another one I think is really important to share is a lot of people if you do reach out to them are more than happy to have conversations with you so one thing that I've always done is when I've been going for either like graduate schemes or graduate jobs or even like higher education um LinkedIn is like the best tool to reach out to people to have conversations Mm. you know if you see that you know there's a job advertised and somebody is working in that particular team and you see them on LinkedIn there's no harm in reaching out to them and like getting more information from them and trying to understand the area that you're going into you know more often than not when people have got to these senior roles they are really proud of getting there and yeah people want to share that knowledge to enable more people to make those moves as well so I think just because something's not put out in front of you in the immediate vicinity doesn't mean you can't go and search for it I I think that is such a I think that's a really valid point and I think to anyone listening in an ideal world yes if you can reach out to people that are in the field you want to go into great but I think that's a really good point that there's lots of people out there um, who as you say if you know they've had a successful career or successful in whatever they do are probably really happy to share that information and support people in the background so I think Mm -hmm. that's a good take-home message you know reach out to people um, whether it's in the field you want to go to or it's out that side that field because I think any advice or support they can give you ultimately is going to help you in that journey so no I think that's I think that's a really really valid point um one of my other observations I guess then of your journey uh, and something that um Jacob and I spoke about on a recent podcast is um and correct me if I'm wrong but it sounds like there was a bit of a lack of visibility for you in terms of what STEM careers were out there and I can certainly relate to some of the points where you talked about the fact you're really passionate about science but you weren't particularly interested in the clinical application of science you know what do you feel perhaps those around you at that time whether it be when you were in education or earlier you know anybody Mm -hmm. that was in a position of influence what what more do you think they could have done around you to help you get better visibility of STEM because that's something that we're really trying to sort of delve into at the moment. Yeah I think this is such an important point because as I've you know progressed in the very short time since I've graduated I've Mm. understood how many different fields there are within even genomics so let alone the rest of STEM there are so many unique paths you can go into and yeah it's super sad because you don't really get that visibility at the moment until you actually get there so I think one thing that do when they're trying to shine a light on careers in STEM is you have to spend time trying to do the research I mean so I actually went back to my old high school to try and explain what a genomic surveillance data scientist was to a bunch of high school kids and, how did um, that go you know what? It, was, it was actually fascinating all the kids were so amazed because everyone can kind of relate to genomic surveillance now with the pandemic you know genomes dna surveillance keep how things change new variants you know these concepts are becoming more in the mainstream now which is so good for trying to make these fields more transparent um but even the teachers that i went to school with didn't know what my job was Um, So I think the first thing is, you know, people need to actually do the research and not just put up the easiest image when you search scientist, which is Mm. an old white man in a lab coat. 
you know people need to dig and look you know what does the scientist actually mean the different areas that you could go into because you can attract so many more people that way and one image I actually used when I was comparing um the stereotypical scientist that you think of and then what I actually look like you know I spend half of my work day working from a coffee shop I'll be in Starbucks on a laptop looking like a businesswoman you know but I'm actually a scientist working on genomic data so I think it's just really important to change that image that people think a scientist and just give more visibility to the different careers but also that's on us to talk to people in these industries and do things like we're doing now with this podcast and trying to give more information out there so that people can do their own research mm, that's a really interesting point you raised there because on on a recent podcast we were talking about um sustainable stem talent and we were talking about how um <laughs> within academia um, within business how that link can be stronger um, what companies can be doing, what uh, individuals within um, an academic uh, setting can be doing within education, etc. And we never actually considered or talked about, and correct me if I'm wrong, Philippa, what an individual can be doing and actually taking it on themselves to think, right, I do want to be in science and delving deeper and actually I think it's really interesting. Like if I think about what I wanted to be when I grew up, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a policeman. And all you think about when you think about a policeman is somebody walking the streets with a hat on being a policeman. <laughs> but there are obviously so many careers within the yeah. police underneath that. And I think that's the same within science. You know, you don't just have to be this individual with a lab coat. There are so many things. There are so many different ways of working, different careers that you can go down. And yes, I think establishments can help show the way but i think it is on an individual to actually be open-minded and think there is more there which i know is easy to say but i think it's really important and it sounds like you did that i mean you've spoken to me previously about how you went to careers events um wearing your fur coat and heels um, <laughs> sure did. <laughs> you know you went you tried to seek information um i mean i presume you went up i mean how how, how was that experience for you yeah, I mean, when I first realised that I wanted the world between computer science and genetics, I did find it quite difficult at the beginning. It almost seemed like people didn't want me to be a part of the industry. Um, I mean, so first of all, I mentioned it like at university that I was going to be doing a Python project for my research project. And I had a professor laugh in my face and say, <laughs> good luck. Why I do you thought, think that is? I, I honestly... The only thing I can put it down to is him looking at me and thinking she doesn't look like somebody that can code when mm. I'd already started learning Python. But it was just so strange because, you know, don't you want to make me feel like I could do that? Surely you want more diversity in your field. Um, so I had that experience. And then um, I also went to one of these careers fairs, like you mentioned, and um, I saw a stand that was software engineering. And I thought, oh, you know what, I'll go. I'll go walk up and see what they're about. Um, you know, and it was it was October, it was cold. I'm always in a fur coat in the winter and I had my heeled boots on. And I started walking up to this stand and they took one look at me and legitimately turned their backs on me when they saw me approaching their stand. And I was just so confused because I'm interested in what you do. I want to learn. I, I'm learning to code. I want to be in this field. And yet you won't even 
you won't even look at me for a conversation. It was just bizarre. Um, so I think, yeah, there's still a bit of stigma around what you should look like to go into these certain fields. Um, even last week I was at a networking event and I told somebody I was a data scientist and they said, oh, I mean, you you don't look like you you could be a data scientist. And I tried to pick apart what they meant by that and they kind of stumbled and couldn't actually justify it. But, but yeah, there's still massive conceptions around what you should look like to go into a certain field, which is which is sad. And I hope yeah. that being away from that now in 2022. I, th- I think it's, yeah, it's really sad to hear that. And, and it's not nice to hear that you face that bias. And I just think, you know, it's quite dangerous to hear that because, you know, if you look at data scientists, which is only one part of STEM, you know, mm. this is an area of STEM that is going to continue to undoubtedly grow and grow and grow as the tools get better and better. And I think, you know, it's so important that we create diversity within that field. Otherwise, the data, the data we produce is going to have bias as well. And I think we have to encourage that diversity you know, to um, get rid of the bias that still clearly exists. And I, I guess one of my questions as well to you, Georgia, is, you know, what what's really impressed me and interested me about your journey is just, you know, it, it, in the face of those challenges and some of the, you know, the, the bias that you've clearly faced, you know, you've continued to be really proactive, you know, with your coding groups, your YouTube, you know, what advice would you give to people listening? Because, you know, Obviously, a lot of that, I'm sure, comes from a lot of internal confidence and, and building yourself up and just and continuing to sort of push through it. But what advice would you give to people listening, um, particularly if they face that type of bias? Because it clearly still exists within this industry. I mean, I think the main thing I can say is that that opinion and the bias that people have, that's not truth. And it's nothing to do with your capability. It's mm-hmm. just a, it's just like a fake opinion that somebody has based on non-truth so if you believe in yourself and you've got an idea of where you want to go and the skills you want to develop that shouldn't be the thing that holds you back um and it doesn't have to hold you back and as long as you've kind of got grit and drive I think you can overcome people's opinions of you because the end of the day if you've got a technical skill set that you can literally prove by evidence of the work that you do then who are people to say that you don't deserve that position absolutely yeah I fully agree just you know talking about computer science and talking about how those individuals sort of turn their back when they walk over I think that unconscious bias is just it's just mad I mean I read good night stories for rebel girls to my my little girl my little boy listens as well uh, which I think is good and we read it most nights. And I just think back to, what is it? Catherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughan, Mary Jackson. You know, there's NASA computer scientists. The, I can't remember the name of the film now that was made off the back of them. But, you know, they were, that's back in, you know, goodness me, mid 20th century, 19, whatever. And you just think they were working on supersonic pressure tunnels that, you know, came about. They were overcoming odds back then but their contributions mm-hmm. to science and technology you know they remained unknown for years their story's being told now but they're celebrated as three inspiring figures in the history of space travel three women and you just think how can it be in 2022 there are still those unconscious 
biases, or maybe not even unconscious. Unfortunately, I think some of them are quite conscious mm. uh, bias and discrimination against women. And they were obviously three women um, that were key to 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 to, to space um, travel, as, as I say. So it, it, yeah, it's crazy. But I mean, I've experienced parts of it. I'm, I'm not not saying I think all of our experiences are very very different. But you know, recruitment eleven years ago looked very different. I. I think people looked at me and thought, you don't look like you should be a recruiter. I didn't drive a certain car. I didn't, you know, I was vegan at the time, driving a small car, not not a flashy German thing with a Rolex on my wrist. So, you know, there are these unconscious biases across across industries. And I think having conversations about them raises awareness, talking about them raises awareness. It's really interesting to hear your experience. Absolutely. Um, just before we move on to the next bit, I was just really interested in about that visibility um, of STEM. And you talked about Code First Girls. Um, one of the things that we were talking about last on the last podcast was how, as I mentioned a minute ago, we can shine a light more um, and make people aware. And I was yeah. just going to say to you, how do you think we can be doing it better? I mean, I'm sure Code First Girls are an example of that. Yeah, they definitely are. I mean, so I volunteer with them now, but they were one of the coding classes I first took when I was trying to learn. And okay. I mean, yeah. Yeah, so like I said, um, you know, I wasn't, I was having people turn their backs on me. I was having people laugh when I said I wanted to learn to code. And I didn't really, I mean, I did start to doubt whether I belonged in this space. And then Code First Girls, like I said, they put on these classes for free, ran by volunteers trying to, you know, help people break into tech. And then suddenly I was surrounded by a group of women, all with the same mission of learning this skill. And suddenly seeing that representation within the community that, you know, more times than not isn't visible, but being able to be in that space when it was visible gave me so much confidence that, you know, if these girls can do it, then I can definitely do it. You know, who are these couple of people that gave me this wrong impression that I don't belong here? All mm. these people think they do. So I do too. So I think having more initiatives like that, where you can connect people who might feel like, you know, they're the only one trying to do this certain skill or break into this certain field. Bringing those like-minded people together, I think is really key for giving people the confidence when when they look at the general sphere, they might not see the representation. Yeah, no, that's really great. Thank you for, for just explaining that a little bit. And then you very, um, I guess it came, came out very easy. You said, now I've got my job um, and I'm here <laughs> and I love it. And um I do. Know, there's a there's a there's a journey there's a journey behind there, but you said when we last spoke you, you saw a job advert. Mm -hmm. Um, you had a few skills I think, but not everything that was asked for. Yeah. And you used a phrase that stuck with me. I applied for it anyway. Um. So so yeah, talk talk to me about that because the reason I'm interested is. Um, here you go. Another step for you. Uh, oh, Harvard, away. Harvard Business Review, 2014. Um, women don't apply unless they're 100% suitable versus men <laughs> that will apply when they only are 60% suitable for a role. At the moment, according to LinkedIn in 2021, women apply for 20% less jobs than their male counterparts. So why did you... I guess, apply for it anyway? I mean, so first of all, I think it's because 
I knew this stat. I, I know that one of the reasons why women aren't represented as well in these jobs is because they're not applying for them. So I already know that men who don't have 100% of the requirements are getting some of these roles. So why shouldn't I give myself the same chance as them? So, yeah, like I said, I, I mean, at the point when I applied for my job, I just graduated. I'd done an internship. I'd started to learn to code, but my no, by no means was I proficient and um, like an independent scientist. I was not there. Um, but I saw this role and... I mean, like we said before, there are so many different types of roles in genomics and I was trying to find something that aligned with my skills. And I saw this advert and, you know, it said, here are the skills we're looking for. We're looking for coding. We're looking for working with genomic data and we're looking for background knowledge on genetics. And I thought, hey, that's literally me. I've done a genetics degree. I've worked in genomic data and I've started learning to code. But then there were a bunch of other things that it wanted you to have including a graduate degree. And um, I didn't have one, I just had an undergrad, but most of these jobs that I'd seen all had a graduate degree requirement, but this job seemed so aligned to my background. I thought I can't not apply for it. Um, so yes, in the nice quote that you like, I applied for it anyway. Mm -hmm. And um, it was one of the best decisions I made because um, after I spoke to um, like my work afterwards, they they weren't looking for a junior that wasn't on their radar they were looking for a senior person but then they saw my application and like I thought my skills aligned with the role but I just wasn't ready for the senior position they kind of had in mind so they then created a junior role for me I was then able to come into the institute learn on the job and then get myself to that senior position Whereas if I'd never applied for that, then I've got no idea where I would be. And it was just one of the best decisions I ever made. And whenever people ask me about like applying for roles and oh, if everything's senior level, everything wants a graduate degree, oh, I, I don't have this skill or this, this, this and that, you know, if you don't apply for things, you're not giving the employer a chance to, you know, see if they want to take you on. Um, sometimes it's really valuable to bring in people at a junior level. You can really train them up and mold them and give them the relevant skill sets for the job that you're doing, you know, rather than going away and having somebody come in with an amazing skill set and something, but say you specialize in, you know, a different technology stack. It's just really valuable to have junior people in your companies. So mm. applying for things anyway is, is more than worth your time and there's nothing to lose. No, I love that. Philippa, what are your thoughts? I think I think it just sort of echoes what you've been saying throughout this podcast. It's about, you know, take that risk, go for it. And I think that's sort of the reoccurring theme here. And I think it's important to encourage people. Um, mm -hmm. And like you say, you may not have everything, um, but, you know, there's so much more you can give to the world. And, and obviously you've had a really positive outcome as a result of your journey. So I think that's kind of one of the standout messages for me and hopefully our audience can listen to this and I guess grow their confidence to you know make those mentor connections you know just because you haven't got anything on the list still apply for it because as you say you're not then giving the the employer the chance and I think yeah a lot of the time we are very guilty of we will only apply for things or go for things if we think we've got you know at least 90% of what they're looking for so I think that's really really sound advice. Mm, absolutely so 
I will save my... I'm not, I won't go first. Sometimes I go first on my conclusions and my wrap-ups and my takeaways. Um, and I put Philippa kind of in a really bad position where she's always got to try and grade <laughs> the thing. But um, I've got some some takeaways. But we always try to end our, our podcast order with, you know, top three takeaways for people that are listening. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's really important to, to do that. So what are your... What, words of wisdom or as we would say here in uh, in SRG your, your your pearls of wisdom what would they what would they be for somebody okay. or a young a young let's go with it let's be really direct a young woman looking to break into STEM okay so I think first of all knowledge is power and it's it's out there ready for you to go and learn about it and seize it so do whatever you can to increase the knowledge in the career you think you want and also just the careers that are available generally. Um, I guess second of all would be don't let other people's opinions change the way that you think about yourself and your capabilities because their opinions don't align to your value. And then last but not least, I think we'll have to end on just apply for it anyway. Okay, lovely. Thank you. And Philippa? Um, yeah, I think the sort of three takeaways for me is, you know, clearly more needs to be done to have better visibility of STEM careers by the industry. But I totally agree that also it's got to come down to the individual. And I think what George's story really screams is that you have to be proactive as an individual, do your research, join the groups, get your, you know, put yourself out there. Um, I think the second thing is the power of mentoring. Um, I'm a massive fan of mentoring. I think it's also good at reducing bias as well. It's been proven to reduce bias, but I think it helps give people a platform and confidence to do more. And then I think thirdly, it's about be brave, go for it. And you will potentially face bias, but it's about rationalising that bias. As George just said, you know, it's often not based on on true facts and you've got to try and sort of push past the bias because ultimately you can have a really positive outcome which, which Georgia has experienced. Brilliant. And then mine. So for me, I think it's a really good time to run this podcast because there's going to be a lot of people um, that have graduated recently that are now looking to, to get into the world of work uh, or maybe struggled. Um, so for me, the mentoring piece, your comments around that, I think are really invaluable, like around just, you know, find someone you trust. They don't have to be in the industry you're in. Just find somebody you trust that's in the world of work that can start helping you uh, navigate that and, and talk around that. So I think that's incredibly important. Um, my second is uh, an expression, I guess, that, 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 that my mum's always used with me. It's feel the fear and do it anyway. Um, if you feel as though you're part of that minority, you go to these career events, you think, goodness me, I'm the only one. I will use it again because I love it in that fur coat and heels. But, you know, feel that fear, do it anyway. You know, you're the person that's going to, to make that change. Um, and finally, it's a word to my recruitment network. Um, a lot of people that listen to this are either within STEM or they are looking to break into STEM or they are recruiters. And I think that stat, we know about it. We talk about it. <laughs> And I think, therefore, don't expect, if you're trying to be the change within STEM, you're, we're the gatekeepers in certain ways. Um, we need to be going out and actively looking at getting women into STEM because if we don't, don't presume that they are going to apply for their roles. They're not all going to be like you, Georgia, and apply for it anyway. And I think that's a really important takeaway, certainly for me, and I, I know I do it, but it's always good to remind myself. Um, 
so yeah i that that's that's me i've really enjoyed hearing about your journey you obviously you've got a lot of drive um you've got a lot of resilience you've got a lot of passion for what you do um not everyone's going to be as uh as maybe confident as yourself but i think those findings and those takeaways that you 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 sort of talked about there you don't have to be the most confident person to to take that and implement that um so i think that's really good and obviously they can hear more of you on your on your youtube channel can't they if they if they wanted if they wanted but um no thank you so much for your time i've really enjoyed today yeah thank you for having me it's been really great to kind of dive into these really important topics and if like anybody can take one thing away from this and give themselves a little bit more confidence into believing they belong in stem then that's a positive what a great way to end thanks so much philippa as well and cheers georgia Make sure you click subscribe to listen to future Think Bigger podcasts. And to listen to our previous podcasts, visit srgtalent.com. Click on Insights and Podcast. And make sure to follow SRG on LinkedIn to keep up to date on the latest insights and articles to inspire yourself and also your workplace.